wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest memory. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave. For the love of the game. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, a Sons of Saturday podcast, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, I haven't talked to you since Thanksgiving, dude. How you doing? It's uh, it's going well. We went from one holiday uh, conversation straight into the next holiday conversation. I was I was recording in my my wife's basement in Ohio, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was, yeah, crossing state lines and uh, recording down there. So it was not it was not great. But I am back in front of a true microphone and can actually uh, talk to people appropriately in the way that we like to record. Yeah, man. Why don't you give us a cheers before we get kicked off here? I got to uh, give a bit of hat tip to the b-ball program. Uh, Ten and one, uh, and uh, a four-game win streak that they uh, they've been rolling through with those. Not even more than that, but it was uh, four tough games, I guess, and a tough four-game stretch uh, that they've just uh, they've just come through. So uh, I got to I got to hand it to to Mike Young's boys and what those guys have been uh, they've been doing out there. It's been pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, it's been great. Cheers, buddy. Our couple-week layoff was warranted because we didn't have the UVA game this year, and there really wasn't a lot going on until the last few days when the transfer portal opened up. And we got multiple commitments on Sunday to the 2023 recruiting class, and then we got two huge portal commitments on Monday. And we're going to go over all those in detail, but we also had a lot of portal defections, something I wanted to get into with you and and see if there's anyone in those defections that you think will be sorely missed or depth pieces that you hate to see go and that kind of thing. But we do need to talk about this basketball team because they are 10-1. They've won five in a row since we last recorded, and they're ranked number 24 in the AP poll. We were not ranked all of last year, so this is the first ranking since the end of the 2021 season before we lost to Florida in the tournament. Yeah, that's um, impressive. I don't think anybody thought that we would get through um, at least the recent stretch completely unscathed, and we managed to do that, uh, including uh, a game against UNC. I know they've been I know they've been struggling a bit, but it's still UNC, and they still got a lot of talent on that team, and um, it was. Um, it, it's been a nice reprieve for Hokie fans, given everything that happened with the football team this year. So uh, yes. super excited uh, for those guys. And Mike Young is just doing it the way that he does it. He's got a certain style of, uh, of basketball that he likes to play, and, and he gets his guys to stick to it, and it makes it fun. 
Yeah, they look great. We're going to get into them a lot towards the end of the podcast. We're going to do football first. In that AP poll, though, that we are in, UVA is number two, Duke is number 12, and Miami scooted in there at number 25. So there's four ACC teams in there. But after those four ACC teams, it starts to get pretty bleak, and it's going to cut into our chances of getting Q1 wins throughout the rest of the year because the conference is, is down. If you if you noticed uh, Florida State and Louisville's game last week, <laughs> yeah. that was a real barn burner. I mean, Louisville got crushed, and they didn't have a win to begin with, and Florida State only had one win. <laughs> and so it, it was. It's not good, and and that's so unusual for those two teams to be that down. Yeah. Well, when the ACC really wants to choke, we are magnificent. Whether it's football <laughs> or basketball, like we really want to give up, give up the ghost. We really, uh, we really make it happen. And we're doing it in both sports this year. UVA looks pretty good, and and Duke will always get better as the year goes on, since they have all those kind of one and done type guys. And Larinaga has done well at Miami, but it's it's weird that when they added Virginia Tech and Miami to the ACC so many years ago, it was to create this football powerhouse with Florida State and Clemson and some of the other teams in the ACC. And now, <laughs> many years later, VT and Miami are two of the best basketball teams in the conference. <laughs> no. Yeah, it is outrageous. Um, yeah. It's uh... It, it, things did not go as planned. No, they, script, <laughs> they scripted it out, and things have certainly deviated, that's for sure. Right. All right, let's just talk a little bit about the end of the football season on a national scale because we had all the football conference championship games. In the Pac-12, Utah beat USC and knocked USC out of its playoff shot. That was the on the Friday night, right? That was the first game of the yep. weekend. We had Georgia beating LSU in the SEC. Michigan beat Purdue in the Big Ten, Big 12. K-State got the upset over TCU. We had Tulane beating UCF. They got the slot in the New Year's Six. And then Clemson beat UNC 39-10, to kind of a walloping. Uh, UNC really went down the tubes at the end of the year. But I wanted to talk about the four-team playoff that we have because half of the teams in it lost their last game of the season. <laughs> Well, I was watching the game with uh, a bunch of guys, like a late Thanksgiving uh, family or friends thing that we all got together for. So I was watching the TCU game, and they lost by three points in that game. And I was, I said, they're still going to be in it. And everybody's like, no, nah, they're not going to be in it. I was like, um, they're 100% going to be in it. That was their only loss on this season. Mm-hmm. And it was a three-point loss against a very feisty uh, Kansas State team. USC is really where things went sideways for everybody because their loss is what really kicked OSU back into it to, yep. to kind of get yep. that fourth spot. If USC won, then they would have been in, and we would have had at least two new teams in the playoff, which would have been nice. Instead, we get three of the four teams losing in the final weekend, and uh, everybody's got a different opinion about this, but for me – the expanded playoff can't come soon enough. I mean, yeah. this is just an absolute, you know, it's a, it's a shit show. It, it, it really is that we end up with, you know, three of the teams that are, uh, um, you know, who you would expect. And then TCU at least gets in at this time to make it a little bit more interesting. I thought a couple of years ago, there should have be some kind of rule where if you lose your last game of the season, whether it's championship, whether it's last regular season game, you're not eligible for the playoff. Yeah. Oh, and, and that doesn't always work and it doesn't always represent the, the best teams, but in a way to me, it represents deserving teams because if you lose your last game, 
that's the most representative of the team you are right now. Like, I, I know mm-hmm. that it's a whole season, but, like, we're talking about the best teams right now, and if you can't win your last game, why do you deserve to be in? I, so, yeah. that I, I know that people can poke holes in that. I just, like, it's so weird to me you could lose your last game and get into the playoff. <laughs> yeah. Well, OSU didn't even have to play it, and so <laughs> the, the, they didn't have to. So that so you had OSU that was off that right. weekend. So they after didn't a loss, to, after a, <laughs> after getting curb stomped by Michigan, right? And then, but I I hear what you're saying. But did you watch that TCU game? TCU I know. played I, TCU played well, and they it was a it was a very close game. Came down to a field goal, um, but and I they get, had beaten Kansas it. State earlier in the year. I, yeah, and I think it. I think it would have been a fun year for an expanded playoff, quite honestly, with the field that we had it there. Yes. Georgia is very good beyond that. I don't have a freaking clue what's going to end up happening um, amongst these teams. We're going to have Georgia probably, you know, curb stomp a couple teams and they'll all be (laughs) over with at least I would have been more interested in seeing the other 11 teams dog it out uh, over the course of an actual expanded playoff than I would. I, I have no no interest in in kind of the playoff and the teams that are in it, except for maybe watching TCU, probably. Yeah, and I do like the TCU team. Just uh, the statement about losing your last game has nothing to do with how I feel about those teams in general. Like, that Kansas State-TCU game was great. The Utah-USC game was really good for a while, and then it, it started to get out of hand. But it's funny that Utah and K-State, to me, are very similar teams. You know, those hard-nosed, tough teams. Teams that I want Virginia Tech to be like going yeah. forward. Yep, and they both got those wins in the championship games. Pretty cool. The rest of the New Year Six is Tennessee versus Clemson, the Orange Bowl. A lot of orange in that Orange Bowl. <laughs> Alabama versus K State. That should be pretty cool in the Sugar. Tulane and USC. Very fun matchup in the Cotton Bowl, and then Penn State and Utah in the Rose Bowl. That's kind of a a lackluster Rose Bowl, only because Penn State played two really good teams and they lost to them both. Yeah, and Utah was. You know, not supposed to win their conference, and now, although you know, we both like the Utes, so yeah. uh, I think you know my growing up being a Penn State fan and my current Utah, like just having a soft spot for them. That'll be fun in that regard, but I think Utah will beat them. Yeah, it, it will be very telling to see what uh, Penn State looks like in that game, going up kind of against a a tough team, right? They Utah yeah. plays a lot like almost like a Michigan um, tries to play um, under Harbaugh. Harbaugh. Yeah, I think uh, going back to the playoff, though, that TCU-Michigan game could be really fun. Do you give TCU a decent shot of winning that game? I do. I, I think I do. Yeah. I, I Do I think Michigan is a better team? Yes. Do I think uh, TCU has shown – they've shown some grit. They've won yeah. so many close games uh, over the course of the season. If they get into a tight one with Michigan, they're going to be like, so what? We've done this six times this season in one in single score games or whatever the number ends up was over the course of the year. So um, I don't know. I think it'll be I think it'll be a really good game. I don't I don't know uh, that ground attack for Michigan could be tough. That defense is, is pretty stifling. But uh, I think I think TCU could give them a game. When I was looking at the spreads earlier, I think I saw that the Georgia Ohio State spread is smaller than the TCU Michigan spread. So like, even though Ohio state's the four seed, 
they they're less than a touchdown against Georgia right now. Just six and a half, and I think uh, TCU Michigan is seven and a half. These things are moving all the time, but last they're right, both right around a touchdown. So yeah. hopefully they're good games. They're both on New Year's Eve. I should note it's not a it's that one of those weird years where they both end up on New Year's Eve. Yeah, it's uh, uh, and that's another thing that will also hopefully change with the expanded playoff. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Let's get into the transfer portal, man. This is this is the th- stuff I think people want to hear about. In terms of our entries, I kind of grouped these into three different categories for me. And these were the transfers that I'm quote-unquote fine with. And that's mm-hmm. Mateus Carroll, Lakeem Rudolph, Desmond Mamoudi, Enzo Anthony, Tink Boyd, Will Kakavitsis. He had, he had one good week there <laughs> on like the starting line, I think. Uh, Matheny and Eli Adams, longtime player Eli Adams. Those are the transfers I was fine with. I, you know, I don't want to see anyone walk away from the program, but sometimes these things just have to happen. So Kakavitas is walking away with his most notable play being a pick play where he got a touchdown <laughs> called back. Is, yes, is, yes. Is, okay. All I right. think that's correct, yeah. Right. Maybe a couple fair catches in there. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's okay. Uh, these are the transfers I was slightly bummed about. Armani Chapman, Keyshawn Artis, Jason Brown, and DJ Harvey. Harvey because he was a highly ranked recruit. Jason Brown because he said how much he loved the Hokies when he transferred and he wanted a shot and he never really got that shot. Yeah. Artis has been a stalwart on special teams and yes. has poured his heart and soul into this program. And Armani Chapman, you know, he could be useful on the field at times. And maybe with another year, he could help solidify our back end. But uh, he's deciding to move on as well. And then, of course, the one I'm most bummed about is Caleb Smith. Yes. I would say Caleb Smith is uh, a definite uh, number one for me. Um, I th- I think I'm going to miss uh, kind of a Marnie Chapman uh, being in the program, I'll be honest. Um, but that's probably just a soft spot for him. And then Keyshawn Artis, I think, is is a tough loss um, at, at linebacker. So those three, Jason Brown, obviously – I, I'm, I'm saying this from kind of value on the field a little bit. Um, we don't know what, you know, Jason may or may not have, you know, kind right. of been able to do. So I'm assuming since he's transferring, that kind of is a telltale sign that he was, he didn't really have a shot at it. So uh, in terms of on the field, I got to go with, I got to go with those three. Um, yeah, I would say, yeah, those three are kind of my big ones. Yeah. And there were some other guys like the, the Carol and Rudolph, there seemed to be potential there, yeah. but maybe they didn't take to you know the program or the lifting schedule. And poor Rudolph got moved around to multiple positions too, so like he never really found a true home, which is unfortunate for him. Yeah. Uh, he was a heck of an athlete, yeah. and so um, yeah. And Harvey, I had mentioned in that same vein, like young guys that might have become something um, that are leaving, like you'll never know, but that's why we have a 2023 recruiting class coming in and portal guys coming in because they are going to get replaced. We were not very good last year. And so whenever you talk about losing players off a a three and eight team, um, I think most people are going to be okay with that. It's 13 total guys from our team in the portal, nine of which were on scholarship. So it's, it's high, it's a high number. Um, but with a a coach going, you know, finishing his first year, this is pretty standard procedure uh, nowadays. I don't think it's that high, given it was a three. If we were talking about an eight and three team, right, then mm-hmm. I would be worried because then it's then we're back to kind of the Fuente situation of what the hell's going on in the program, you right. know, that kind of thing. 
It's a three and eight team. People are going to move around. I am sure the coaches were very blunt with all the players that the season was not acceptable or palatable to anyone. So there's going to have to be changes throughout. Um, so I don't want to, I don't like seeing people go, but it's, it's not surprising to see that kind of number. My wife was joking with me and she's like, you guys going to be able to field the team next year. I was like, did we field the team this year? <laughs> did, <laughs> that's the real question. Do you uh, think the, um, Blunt conversations were as blunt as Dion Sanders going into Colorado. <laughs> probably, probably not. Um, I did see, yeah, I did. I haven't watched it yet, so but I did see a Twitter post, I guess, from their either their AD or their president coming out and giving Dion a bunch of flack today for for bailing on him. Um, so that uh, oh, on Jackson State, Jackson I, State. I saw that like a. I can't remember his name, but some someone at the school just basically roasted him because he, you know, got a check and left or whatever. Took, took the money. Yeah, I mean, come on. We all knew that was gonna. How could you go into that situation not knowing that was gonna happen? I don't know Dion's financial situation, <laughs> but he didn't take the check. He already had the check. Right. He like, has he's, money. He's got the money. He took the job. He took the prestige. So like, right. <laughs> he can't say he took the bag. Like he didn't. That. You already had the bag. Right. And I I personally think, like, if you're a Colorado football fan right now, like, how could you not just be so excited? Oh, like, yeah. they're in a conference that has absolutely no juice, and they went 1-10 in 10 or 1-11 in 11 this year, whatever it was, and now you have the guy with the most charisma in the country as your head coach, the most clout, the most – you know, recruits want to play for swag of anyone, and he's you know in in Boulder. Like, how cool is that? If you're that, might say what you want about Dion. It's gonna make it freaking interesting as hell. Oh yeah, it'll do. It'll do. It'll do a ton for for Colorado. What it what it ends up being, who knows? But for between now and then, it's gonna be a boatload of fun. Yeah. All right, let's get to the portal additions because we got two awesome commitments. On Monday night, the first being from Ollie Jennings, the wide receiver from ODU. If you'll remember, he had over 100 yards against us just this past year when we lost to them. And he's 6'2", 196, and he credited the coming to Virginia Tech with Fontel Mines because that's who recruited him to ODU from West Virginia because he started his career uh, after finishing at Highland Springs at West Virginia, and Mines brought him to ODU, and now he's brought him to Tech. I'm, I'm so jacked up about this addition. Yeah, he had 122 yards, I think, against uh, the Hokies this year. So let's flip that around and get it on uh, our side of uh, our side of the uh, ledger. That would be nice. I'm excited. This is um, this. Uh, I wouldn't. I would say that this more than makes up for my sadness with seeing uh, Caleb kind of move on and and leave the program. Um, it's no ding against anything. I do think the Jennings upside for him, I think, is pretty substantial uh, yeah. for what he can do. I'd love to have them both, right? I mean, that's, oh, that would that's, be so great. That's yeah. Nirvana, but it's not. So uh, I will say I was kind of bummed about seeing Caleb um, transfer out, but I am I'm very happy with we were going to do a swap with those uh, those two players. If it was if this was an if this was a fantasy trade, I'd feel pretty good about myself. Yeah, and and I totally hear that. And let, hey, let's not close the door on Caleb. He's yeah. he's looking at schools. He you know looking at Notre Dame and stuff. So that's going to be hard to beat. I, I I understand that. But um, 
you know, it's not over till it's over, right? Yeah. So we'll see if Caleb ends up coming back. But this guy had over a thousand yards two years ago, just under a thousand yards this year, and nine touchdowns. And if you remember who their quarterback was, I don't know how he got close to a thousand yards because their quarterback was awful, like yeah. really, really terrible. Um, so I, he's he can play. He can play. I mean, almost over two thousand yards in the last two seasons and fourteen TDs. And in addition to mines. There's the Ricky Ronnie and Tyler Bowen connection from Penn State Mm -hmm. and perhaps, you know, some similarities in offensive style and philosophy that might help him acclimate to Virginia Tech quickly. But it's big for the wide receiver room uh, because with Caleb going, it's Lofton, Gosnell, Christian Moss, Holloway in year two. I mean, it's it's not it's barren, right? Like. We, we need this kid. We could use another kid or two. So. Yes, it, but we probably need at, at least one to two more. Um, yeah. It's if we're it's it is uh, unless or, someone turns a corner. Right. Right. Like, unless somebody steps up. But I'm saying with what we know we have today, it's you know, you would hope in the in the new world that we live in. Right. The the banking on developing year over year is not. um is not has is no longer just the traditional way of doing it. The traditional way of doing it has quickly become go out and get people that you know are mm-hmm. are known quantities as transfers and supplement them with your development program. I'm I'm sorry, but it just is. This transfer portal stuff has happened so quickly that that's the real change that's happened. Yeah, man. All right, let's talk about the quarterback, Chiron Drones, quarterback from Baylor. He's got three years of eligibility left, and he credited the transfer to his relationship with Tyler Bowen. And see, this is funny because Tyler's the one that everyone is mad at this year, including us at times. And when Pry came out a couple weeks ago and said, like, feel good about the staff, whatever, people kind of threw a little bit of a fit online, just like, we're not making any changes. Like, we went three and eight. We're not going to do anything. Well, it might have been a good idea to hold on to Bowen because (laughs) he just went out and got a very highly rated quarterback, at least – when he was coming out of high school. Jerones was a highly sought-after prospect, a 94 rating according to the in-house 247 ranking. He's from Texas, and if you put him on our team this past year, he would have been the third-highest-ranked player coming out of high school on our entire roster. So this is this is a talent upgrade at the quarterback position. I'm not saying it's immediate dividends or he's going to be better than what we've had, but like just from his talent coming out of high school, it's an upgrade. Yeah. And we, uh, I almost, I, I shy away from almost making this joke, but it's Texas to VT, which is you know, <laughs> huge. Uh, so I, there was some fighting about, uh, that whole, that whole situation. Uh, guess what guys, there's a lot of good quarterbacks that come out of Texas. It, uh, happens to be a state that, uh, that breeds them pretty well. So, um, that, it, that it's not a surprise, but I'm excited. He, I mean, He's 6'2", dude's 220, almost 225 pounds, so he's got some size to him. Um, and coming out of, of Baylor, choosing to go to Virginia Tech, and obviously a good relationship with the staff. It sounds like he and Jennings also kind of connected. Uh, yeah. And, you know, they they kind of just did their commitment together. They were like, hey, if you're going to come here and be throwing the ball, I want to be catching it, or, or vice versa. So that um, that's exciting. I'm also pumped about 
the idea of using like the drone strike imagery mm-hmm. for every time he throws a touchdown pass or something like oh, yeah there's already been so many memes of like his head on a drone or like yes. you know i think i did a, a gif of like you know a drone shooting a missile like it's that's 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 fun well um, and, and we have we have the drone range on campus so i mean of all schools i mean let's let's be honest we got that huge cage thing that yeah my wife's right. like what is that i was like that's oh, where we fly our drones come on now <laughs> i mean let's let's do it He's a physical freak. I posted the video of him squatting 585 pounds, and that was a video from his true freshman year. And some of the videos of him throwing, I, I'm i nervous to even make the comparison, but the flick of the wrist, it reminds me of an old Virginia Tech quarterback. Yeah, um, just, a, guy, a not, guy that played for us that was known for that. Yeah. Right, right. And his form is not perfect. His mechanics are not perfect. But he has got some crazy raw physical tools. And so it remains to be seen, like, is he going to be Quincy Patterson 2.0, a physical freak who, who never really learned to pass? Or is he going to be Tyrod? Like, uh, yeah. you know, who was extremely gifted and it took him a little time, but he became a very solid college quarterback throwing the football. So yes. um, which one of those paths will he take? Hopefully it's, it's the more of the Tyrod path. Although, you know, I love what Quincy had to do for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference in styles between, you know, drones and Grant Wells is, is stark, right? It's that drones is more of a true dual threat. You yeah. know, he, he's he can really run the football. He's more of a read option guy. And this kind of signals like we might be going that direction, changing our scheme to follow that route. Yeah. And, and Grant Wells, he, he ran the ball well like this year, but mm-hmm. it was not. Um, sometimes it was even just scripted QB keep and, uh, and other times it was just out of necessity of him right. trying to pull, put together some yards because our offense struggled so much. Uh, but it certainly was never like the comfort zone or how we wanted to be dialing things up for, for him. Yeah. And I, I had this from uh French wrote an article on drones and did a little breakdown of his, uh, short pieces of film that were from Baylor this past year. Cause I think he only threw like 24 passes, but French said it reflects a growing commitment to Brad Glenn's RPO oriented zone scheme uh, that he ran at Georgia state. And he thinks that the running style and footwork of drones is more suited to an inside zone read oriented running attack, the same style that Glenn ran before. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I think that's what is going to end up happening more current college football offense is what we're going to be running the RPO zone read kind of stuff. And, and I'm happy about that. I, and, and Grant battled for us. Um, and it begs the question, like, is he going to stay and then battle it out to be the starter again? Like it, yeah. with drones in here. And cause Hey, this kid is raw and he's young. Yes. There's no guarantee he comes in here and is our starting quarterback. I think that's the thought. And yeah. that if I had to bet my money on it, I'd probably bet on that. But, like, who's to say Grant doesn't stick around? Because Grant ran a pretty good offense against Liberty. Like, we, yeah. we won the game, and you, like you said, there was a lot of scripted runs that he did well on. Yeah. So, I, I'd i suspect, given some of his ties, you know, back to, to Blacksburg and where he's at in his career, I wouldn't – I would I would be – I would guess that Wells will probably come back and try and battle out for it. It'd be my like suspicion. If I had to put money down on it on one way or the other, I think that's that would be what he does. But we'll, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, it's it's really hard to say, and I'm surprised we haven't 
heard a few more whispers about it and, and maybe people have, and we're just not plugged into it, but I don't know what's going to end up happening. Like I'm thinking that he's leaving. That That's kind of what I think, but maybe not. And I, I kind of hope he doesn't. Cause even if he isn't the starter and drones beats him out or whatever, like who else do we have? <laughs> like we, we need someone to play the position. I mean, yeah, I did. We say this every single year. How many teams go end to end, you know, with one quarterback? It just doesn't happen right. like, very often. I mean, guys get dinged up. Guys need to, even if it's not for a full game, you know, people get knocked out or, or get hurt for, for half a game and have to come back and, and need some time to ice it. So I, uh, I, I'd i like to have more than one. That would be uh, amazing because sometimes we're having struggling just to get one person out there. I totally agree with you because if it's not – Wells being the backup, it's going to be Devin Farrell or Taj Bullock or maybe one of these new quarterbacks that's coming in the 2023 class to be the backup. And that's that's a scary proposition, right? Because maybe those guys can play, but we haven't seen any anything to tell us that they can. So, yep. yeah, I, I if it's me, I want Wells back just to be the backup and pray that Drones comes in here, hits the ground running, and is our starter. <laughs> With regard to the transfers in general, like these were two huge gets, and it shows that this staff is able to recruit. We talked about when Pry put the staff together, how heavy the recruiting focus was on the guys that he hired. They weren't necessarily like the best football minds, most experienced football minds, but they were guys that we knew were young and that could recruit. And they are showing that right now. Drones was the seventh highest rated recruit in the portal. And there are dozens and dozens of quarterbacks in the portal. And he was up there, according to 247. So getting him was a big win for a program in our state right now. Yes, I agree. And it was also notable that Tony Grimes was on campus this past week. The five-star who went to UNC and didn't live up to the hype is now, you know, checking out Merriman. Yes, I like that. And I also add, and something to keep in, I just put this... Um, and thought I'd throw it out there. You mentioned being number the number seven quarterback uh, and picking him off. Keep in mind, I know that they have a lot of good talent on their rosters that could develop as well. Ohio State needs a quarterback next year. Georgia needs a quarterback next year. Um, who else? I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, who else? Oh, Alabama needs a quarterback next year. Uh, also graduating. That's just three out of two of the top, you know, blue blood programs out there that are all going to be looking for quarterbacks and are, you know, are are probably eyeing people in the portal as well. So when you think about that seven number, think about all the turnover that happens at the quarterback position and how many people are staring at that portal trying to bring people in. Yeah, you know who else needs a quarterback? Notre Dame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Caleb yeah. Smith is looking at Notre Dame and. I tweeted out the other day, like, who's who's throwing to him? And and maybe the guys that are coming in and visiting on campus, like, maybe they know who it is going to be. It's going to be Devin Leary or it's going to be Grayson McCall or, you know, one of these higher-end, Brennan Armstrong. Um, but it's just funny how many top programs want a quarterback and need a quarterback. But those top programs, they're looking for a day-one starter, like, that they don't have to worry about. Like, Drones is not – yeah. A guy like Devin Leary, who's like ready made, can can pop in and probably start right for you and, and be very good right off the bat. Um and so he f- drones fits what we want to do with the three years of eligibility left, you know, the the dual threat RPO scheme, that kind of stuff. But I do think there's a lot of schools that wanted to get their hands on him and we got him. Yep. 
All right, let's talk about the regular attrition. And this is just guys graduating and gone, and that includes Dax, Holston, Blumrick, Delius, Janzi, Jordan, Garbit, Murray, Connor, Blue, Griffin. There, if you notice, that's a lot of gentlemen that are yes. that are walking out of the program this year. So we we do have scholarships open, and that's why with the guys entering the portal and the guys graduating, that's um, why we're going to be targeting several more transfers. I I would hope uh, coming back, announcing that they're going to take up another year of their eligibility is Nizir Peoples. Alan Tisdale and Nick Gallo. We just got the Gallo news today or yesterday. And so people's coming back, I think is the most impactful because we needed his expertise in the safety backfield. And then Tisdale is also huge because he didn't get to play a lot this year, but what we saw from his position wasn't great before he came back. Yeah, we, it was, it was dire. It was a definite dire need. Um, so I would say those are, um, Yes, the most impactful. And I think Nick Gallo coming back, that was a name that we like kind of were building up, like the coaches were kind of talking about, but it never really ended up showing up on the field. So I, you know, I'm happy that we'll get to see it for another year, see if it starts to kind of click and and we see more on the on the field from him. But the other two I think are pretty critical for them to um to 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 come back. So that's um that's pretty exciting. So these are the other four guys that could come back and haven't said one way or the other. Mario Kendricks, Norrell Pollard, Colbeck, and Feldarius Payne, the transfer from last year who got hurt before the season started. And so for me, like I'd love to have all those defensive linemen back because yeah. we're losing Garbin and Griffin. Um, we, we need linemen, offensive and defensive. And so if you could give me one of Kendricks or Pollard, like that would be huge. I think I'd prefer to have Pollard. He's been the better player over their careers, but Kendricks at times has shown flashes and Hey, I want all three of those defensive linemen back Beck, You know, he's, he's a return man. We love him for kind of the, the white lightning joke of it and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, um, Tucker Holloway is going to be handling a lot of the return stuff. Yeah. Colbeck probably isn't going to wind up being a wide receiver for us. So if he leaves, if he stays, either way, I'm cool with it. But I want those defensive linemen back. Yeah, Pollard for me is kind of top of the list. That would just be – I think that would be a huge if he, uh, mm-hmm. if he comes back again. So that that's big. Kendricks is obviously good, um, would, be, would be awesome to have, but um, – the most impactful known quantity that we have of kind of that whole group is, is definitely Pollard. So you get one transfer, one solid transfer at any position right now. Who do you want to add? Not a, not a player, just the position. Oh, and one solid player at any position. Um, I would probably go with another wide receiver, honestly. Um, so yeah, if we have to be under the assumption that this is tough because we don't know what drones is going to be and we don't know how that's, yep, what that's going to end up playing out. So I have to have hope that drones is going to be legit or, you know, Grant Wells is going to come back and be a different kind of quarterback. Otherwise the team is going to not, it's going to suffer no matter what, uh, if we don't have a quarterback. So if you told, said beyond that, I would definitely say if you could pair somebody else with Jennings, that that is that is the easiest way to really make this offense something very, very kind of dangerous very quickly. 
what about offensive line? Was that would that be second for you, or was quarterback second for you? I would probably say offensive line. I mean, it was just it was. I I don't. The tough part is is like what what do we know about what happened this year and <laughs> what with Joe Rudolph and the offensive I line. I, do, do you have any sense and like understanding of like what it was? Like, say we don't pick up anybody big, like anybody big, right? In the transfer portal or otherwise, going into next season, are you able to kind of rationalize what the hell happened this season and understand what that could mean for next season? Because I don't. Like, I, it doesn't, it, I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, with, I think, and that's why my number one would be an offensive lineman rather yeah. than a wideout. And, yeah. and hey, listen, I, I could go either way, but like, to me, we need at least one portal alignment. The problem is finding quality, you know how many teams want a quality portal alignment? Like, yeah. it, it's it's really hard. It's really hard. And losing Janzi and Jordan, although Jordan didn't play well at times, um, it's it sucks. Like, that. that's gonna be a problem however they weren't good anyway and so maybe some of the younger guys develop in the offseason and and will be a little bit better but to your question I I think a short conversation with Joe Rudolph or maybe one or two of the players could help answer it pretty easily Mm -hmm. but I think it's a coach style change it's a scheme change and then it's another scheme change midway through the year yeah. And not having your best running back also helps explain it away a little bit yeah. as to why they looked so poor. And I, I think we have to still give Joe Rudolph the benefit of the doubt that he will get it going. Because if you looked at the end of the year, even from like game seven on, there was marginal improvement, particularly in the run game. Um, the pass blocking started to go <laughs> up shit's creek or down shit's creek i don't know which way <laughs> without a paddle and um I, I, so I, obviously you, you have the give and take of that but i still think overall the o-line did play better as the year went on i'm trying to tell myself that so here's the thing with offensive line and sometimes i say things like they're fact but they just seem so true to me that i'm gonna assume that they are if you are a good offensive lineman somewhere at a D1 school, right, in a Power 5 or Group of 5 school, and you're getting starting time, so that's not an issue. You're not splitting carries. You're not a running back. You're not a wide receiver who's not getting as many catches or has a, you know, shitty quarterback. You're not, you know, you're not a defensive back who the other, you know, your safeties keep letting you down or whatever the case may be. Like, you can get noticed, and you can be really good on your offensive line, and you're playing every down, right? So – your NFL prospects are still there, whether you're playing for, you know, Ball State or whether you're playing for Virginia Tech, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Almost, in my mind, more so than maybe any other position other than, like, a defensive tackle, really a defensive end. Because a defensive end, they put up the numbers, they can have sacks, yeah. or maybe a linebacker. They can put up numbers on their own, that kind of thing, become disruptive. And those can, guys can get noticed by the NFL. But you're getting graded out as long as you're in the Power Five. So, like... When I'm thinking of who's in the portal, an offensive lineman, your only real bets are probably D1 guys who just don't really like the school that they're at or the coach that they're they're working with. It's not a it's not the same reason that a wide receiver wants to go and Caleb Smith wants to go to a place where he can show his talents at mm-hmm. you know another school, um, a bigger name or a bigger brand, um, at least in my mind. So 
I would love that as well. I'm just suspicious of like how. I think that's why you don't see a lot of offensive linemen like in the portal, or at least a lot of opportunity for people to get them. Yeah, and the actual one advantage that we have is that we have one of the very few offensive line coaches in the country that people know. Yeah, and so if there were a handful of teams other than the Bama's and the Notre Dame's and Oklahoma, who's well known to have good offensive linemen, uh, would be playing for Joe Rudolph. Like that mm-hmm. would seem attractive to me if if yeah. I was an offensive line recruit. Yeah. And so maybe that will help us. I'm hoping that will help us. Yeah. But it, it's an interesting line of thought you bring up is why don't we see the movement in off- offensive line? I think a lot of the things you said are true. Yeah. Um, but coaching but anyway. changes could be beneficial i mean that is that's the that's the real thing when you know scott frost is gone so you know what ends up happening you know some of those guys go into the portal they don't know who the next coach is going to be so that i guess opens up a lot more opportunity it's interesting you bring up scott frost robbie because (laughs) we had just finished our attrition update and our portal update so let's talk about the 2023 recruiting class because we just got a commit flip from nebraska And that's mainly because Scott Frost got let go. And this quarterback, William Pop Watson III, he had committed to play for Mark Whipple, who was, you know, the new OC that Frost brought in to help save his job. And then when he, when Matt Rule comes in now, Whipple is no longer the OC there. And so it's, uh, Watson's up for grabs. And there was a lot of schools in on this kid that wanted him. He had nine P5 offers, including Michigan, Oregon, and Tennessee, and he picked Virginia Tech. And so this was, to me, Watson, I think, is even better than his three high three-star rating. He's the fourth highest recruit in our class currently. And I think that he's, I mean, he won two state championships and finished runner-up in a third yeah. in his four years of high school. And one of those years was COVID years. There wasn't a state championship that year. Yeah. And fantastic nickname. Uh, Pop Watson, and he's the third. I mean, come on. That's that's fantastic. But yes, yeah. Frost, uh, Frost uh, getting fired and Mark Whipple uh, going away opened up that opportunity uh, to flip. And I think he said, Virginia Tech kind of never stopped recruiting me, uh, despite when I made my commitment to Nebraska. They kind of always you know stayed there. And there's something to be said for that, kind of hanging around the rim, if you will, once we get to the, the basketball <laughs> part. And then, I mean, it was exciting. Then we got Aiden Green, uh, which was another big pickup. He's out of Tennessee. Uh, he was committed to Cincinnati and got him to uh, to come over as well. Those were, what, the number two and the number four player in our recruiting class that, yeah. Uh, that yeah. both came in. So another big pickup. It's always nice to add to the recruiting class and and it fills out the top of the class a little bit for us because although we have some some kids that I think are going to be very good, we don't have a lot of those 88s, 89s, 87s in the class. Like it's been a lot of guys hovering around the thousand mark uh, in terms of the national ranking. But Aiden Green, eight power five offers. You said he was another flip. And we had a third guy, Jeremiah Coney, also a flip, but he was from Appalachian State. And so someone called it Flipmas. I think it was <laughs> yes. Dan on Twitter called it, uh, it was Flipmas. And it's true. Like, I didn't realize that all three of them were technically flips. Coney is out of Hermitage in Richmond. And so and always nice to get a Virginia kid in the fold. A um, little bit lower. He's on, on the ranking scale. But he did have four P5 offers. And he's a running back. So we'll see if uh, what he adds to the running back room. 
that's another player when we were talking about guys to transfer in. Like, if we could get, like, think about if we could get a Travion Henderson, you know, someone like that to transfer in and what that effect, like, when we're picking one, you can have one solid player at any position. Like, what would one all-star running back do for our offense? It could, it could really change the game, but we're going to have to roll with Malachi and King and Bryce Duke and some of the other younger guys and see what, see what happens this year, but Coney's going to be added into that mix as well. Let's take a quick beer break before we finish up with our thoughts on basketball. Robbie, what are you drinking over there? I got a Starbucks cup here with uh, some uh, some green tea, so it's uh, it's delicious. It's uh, that's that's what I'm going with tonight. I got I got more work to do after we're done with the podcast, so I got to keep my uh, caffeine levels up. So at the moment, what uh, what are you having? I'm drinking the Blizzard of Hops by Trogues Brewing. It's been a couple years since I've had this beer. I remember it being a solid IPA. Uh, they call it a winter IPA. It's it's not hazy. It's you know pretty clear through the glass. Not a New England. Um, Six point four percent, eighty IBUs. So that blizzard of hops is real. It's it's got a little bit of that hop bite to it. But I do really like it, even though um, it's a little bit more bitter. Like. It's one of those ones that grows on you as you drink it. You're like, oh, I'll have another one of those and another one. And at 6.4, you could do three, four of these and still feel all right the next day. Maybe, maybe. maybe. And so uh, I might test that theory are. out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you're, you're getting up there, Pete. It might actually it might actually impact you at this point. <laughs> yeah, I got a birthday coming up in January too. Getting older all the time. But the Blizzard of Hops by Trogues, I would recommend this one if you're looking for a nice winter warmer IPA type beer. Um, and I do appreciate you you hopping on the podcast with me tonight because I know Rob, you've been you've been busy as hell with the, you got a new business going over there and everything. So much appreciated for hopping on. Wouldn't wouldn't miss it for the world. We uh, <laughs> we got good things going, and we haven't even got to got to the best part on the podcast. Yeah, that's right, man. This basketball team has been absolutely killing it. We talked about them being ten and one. The one loss, of course, came to College of Charleston in that tournament. What's nice about it is. That counts as an away game because Charleston hosted the tournament. And get this, College of Charleston, also 10-1. I know. So that is that is a good team that we ended up losing to. Um, don't feel as bad about that one. And like you said earlier in the podcast, going into that stretch against UNC, Dayton, and Oklahoma State, I didn't think we were coming out of there with three wins. I, I was hoping for two, Yeah, and we got all three. Two would have been nice and i was actually watching the unc game a little bit on my that one i had to watch on my phone and um it got a little bit shaky for a minute there uh and but then they 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 pulled away and sealed the deal up on that so that that getting over that hump um and that came after the minnesota game i believe yeah uh, the minnesota win that they had then they had unc um i felt i felt better about that because Dayton's always a scrappy team, right? Mm-hmm. Every every year they always have been um, a pretty good, you know, tournament team that you know gets in and sometimes will get some upsets and, and cause some havoc. But um, overall, uh, I did not expect for them to go, um, you know, three for three in that in that stretch, and certainly not four for four. I know Minnesota's not great, but still, it's a it's a Big Ten team. Yeah, it's it's a Power Five team, and the Dayton game I think was the most surprising because. It was just like a crush. I know early on we were down a bit, but Basile went off and he finished with 23 points, 10 rebounds, and four blocks. Padula added 19, Maddox with 12, and 
it was never really close. Like towards the end, I, I flipped over and watched something else. Like it, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't really entertaining anymore. And that's nice because you, like you said, like they're a perennial solid team. Mm-hmm. Um, their best team, unfortunately for them was during the COVID season when they had Obi Toppin and they didn't get a chance to, to show how good they were to the country. But, uh, and I think they beat us that year. I yes. think, I think we lost to them that season. But, Early uh, in the season. Yeah. But yeah, and Basile got the revenge because he played in Dayton at Wright State, and there's the picture of him saying playoffs and basketball and everything, and he got to play really well against him, which was cool. If we go back to the UNC game real quick, you said it got dicey at the end, and it did. Um, but we controlled the majority of that game. We scored 80 points on them. And no, they didn't have Baco, but guess what? At the end of the season, people are just going to see that we beat UNC. And That's... so I really don't care that they didn't have Baycott. So Mutz was awesome, went for 27 points, 11 boards, and four assists. Padula, Couture, and Basile were all in double digits. And how about this kid, MJ Collins, coming yeah. off the bench, scoring eight points on his own in that game, eight boards as well. A couple of poster dunks the last couple of games. I like this kid. I, I, anybody that's coming off the bench, I'm always rooting for, especially when they, uh, they put up some dunks and, and, and make it fun for us. But, um, yeah, if, and if you can, at this time in the, in the season, if you could build a little bit of that confidence and that depth, uh, off the bench, it's, uh, it's nice. Cause you never know when you'll need it. You get a game where you get in foul trouble and you got to pull people in and, and just get everybody, um, out there and, and playing. And so, uh, I don't know that Collins was uh, was on our list of people to talk about until until you know he made us uh, made us have to do <laughs> right, it right exactly yeah. and he brings a little bit of that we we are a very good team a very skilled team but we do lack that Ahmed Hill type athleticism yeah. right and he brings a little bit of that to the table just to finish off with OK State that was a a sloppy game and and in large part to what we did because we kind of had to slop it up in order to come back and win because we were up early and then we were all of a sudden down and then kind of mucked it up, shot a lot of free throws. We had 24 free throws in the game and we made 80% of those. And that was a big reason why we won. We also had 11 steals. If that's, and that's what I'm talking about with, you know, making it messy. Um, But that's the nice thing about this team is they just seem when something's not going quite right, they figure out a different way to attack the game and get the W. And there's been so many times this season where, I feel like one of our teams in the past would have folded or peed down their leg or choked or whatever. And that's just not happening this year. And it's been really, really refreshing. Sean Padula is scoring at a higher clip than anyone since Eric Green in 2013. Do you remember? Okay, so Eric Green that year, he won ACC Player of the Year. Do you remember how many points per game he scored that season? I'll give you a reference. This mm-hmm. this year, Padula's at 16.9. So he's right around 17 points a game. It's pretty good. How high was Eric Green at points per game? I remember he was he was scoring all the time. I remember it was just a monster. Like I want to say like 22 points a game or something crazy. It was 25 points a game. Wow. Yeah. I do <laughs> like, remember that. That's insane. Um yeah, I remember that. And the then Winchester he went Winchester rifle. Yeah. And then he went overseas and he played and then he came back and then I actually saw him. He played for wasn't he on the Wizards for a little bit, I think. Maybe he, for yeah, yes. for like a minute. And I got a picture of uh of him out there. So, anyway, that's an Eric Eric Green tangent. That's so. awesome. Um but yeah, if you go back the last couple of years like Padula's over 16 points per game. The only 
two guys that have done that since Eric Green have been Nikhil Alexander-Walker in, in uh, 2019. He had 16.2, and Zach Ledet was at 16.5 in 16.17. So that's that's where Padula is residing right now in terms of his scoring, and he's also putting up a fair amount of assists. If you look at the ACC, Sean Padula is 10th in assists. Justin Mutz, 11th in the conference in assists. Wow. Like, And he's the only forward in the top 27 in assists. Like, can, all the rest are guards and Justin Mutz. He can so pass, man. What can you yeah, say? Yeah, dude. And he he's turning the ball over a little bit more than I'd like. But I think Mike Young has talked about this. The That risk, you kind of take that risk because he is such a playmaker. You deal with the turnovers mm-hmm. uh, because he can make those assists. Yeah, and uh, there was a nice article on Keep Play talking about Padula and how he's a little bit energetic out there as well, right? But he's only averaging, I think, like less than like one and a half turnovers per game despite the way that he kind of plays and um, when he's trying to speed up the pace and and move the ball around, things like that. So um, he's got Mutz back. So, you know, if Mutz Mutz is turning over a little bit too much, Padula's, Padula's taking care of it on his end. Yeah, and that's why we're sixth in the country in assist-to-turnover ratio. Sixth out of 360 teams. And we have the fewest turnovers in the country. We're currently tied with Villanova. Fewest turnovers in the country on a per-game basis. Wow. And that, you know, so Mutz may be turning it over a little bit more than I liked. However, like, no one else is really turning it (laughs) over. So, like, it's I'll take it, man. What's funny about this team, too, is that we're 121st in three-point percentage. Mm-hmm. And that is a departure from what you would expect from a Mike Young team. Normally, we're top 50, top 20 in yeah. three-point percentage. But 121, uh, it's not what you're used to. And that's because some of the guys are having shooting slumps like Darius Maddox. Mm-hmm. Uh, but teams are also extremely focused on stopping us from the three-point line. And there's actually been kind of a cool like effect of this because we have all those shooters out there it opens up all that space so they're trying to run us off the three-point line we're getting so many touches inside the arc that are clean that we're shooting 57 percent from two Mm -hmm. and so if you look at our uh efficiency field goal percentage like the efg it's the top in the acc and so even though we're only making like 35 percent of our threes or whatever we're still the the best, like in terms of an efficiency shooting team in the ACC right now. Got to love Ken Palm. So uh, <laughs> yeah, Virginia Tech graduate for life. Um, and I was going to say, so Basile, I think, is leading the team right now. He's forty what three percent uh, from beyond the arc and three point. But I mean, it's which it's, is incredible for his size. Yes, which is unbelievable. And um, so it's. I don't know. I think it'll go through. Um, I think it'll change throughout the season. Mm-hmm. You don't. Nobody stays cold. Maddox will get it back. You don't stay cold for that long, and it just takes a little while. Get your, and then he'll have one of those games where he drops like eight, and everybody's right. gonna be like, "What the hell happened?" And he'll be back on it. So, I think I think it'll end up um, having ebbs and flows. But for the time being, you take advantage of the additional space, a little extra room. Uh, put your seat back and uh, you know enjoy the leg room and and make hay while uh, while the sun's out. So, yeah, man, we're doing it old school, long twos and post ups. Like we're we're just getting it done on the inside, which is cool. And also the defense has improved. Like 
like when we talked about it, I think the last time we recorded, we said like, we're hoping to see that defense improve. And starting with the Charleston games, like we did see that. And now we're fourth in the ACC in adjusted defensive efficiency. And that is a Ken Palm stat. So the defense has improved. Are, we're shooting great from two-point range. And we have so many guys on this team that do more than one thing well, right? Like Mutz has 13 points, eight rebounds, almost four assists, and two steals a game. Basile, almost 15 points, six rebounds, two assists, two blocks a game. Couture, well-rounded player. Maddox hasn't even hit his stride, but he's still averaging almost 10. Collins and Poteet have been very nice surprises in the front court, and more front court depth than we're used to, which is great in case someone gets into foul trouble. And then you throw in Padula, who's quickly becoming one of the best point guards in the conference. Yeah. And th- this is why we're 10 and one, right? Mm-hmm. Like this, this team, it's, I don't want to go like two over our skis here, but this team is, is so much better than last year's team. Yes. Uh, it, it's, it's so readily apparent. And it's more well-rounded as you said. So I think it's, and it's not, a lot of the teams in the past have been um, our good team. Even our good teams in the past have been, um, you know, he can drive, but he can't really rebound or, you know, he's really good with the, you know, the ball in the hands, but he can't, he can't make assists or he does not really good passer. I feel like it, it is a lot more well, well-rounded in the skill set as you alluded to in the stats mm-hmm. that are showing up there that, they, I feel like that just gives us a lot more flexibility in how we want to try and approach the game, especially, as you said, when things are not necessarily going well. We can pivot a little bit and and try try a different strategy, and it's not wholly uh, un- uncomfortable for any of the, the, the players out there. So we've talked a lot about the good stuff. So what yeah. is the concern going forward for the season outlook? This is a team that's number 25 in the NET rankings right now, which is which is awesome. It's the fact that we only run in that eight-man rotation and that Padula is our only true point guard. When he has to come off, um, it's it's Couture filling in. It's it's Mutz handling some of the assist duties. But we really need another guard, and that is going to be Rodney Rice. And we're I'm hoping that's very soon after the new year. He was warming up the other night, but it's going to be great to get him for backcourt depth. How much can we expect from him? I don't know. I mean, he's he's a true freshman. Those guys always take time to acclimate, even in basketball, which it's easier than football, but it's it's still hard. And so let's get him in there early against some of the worst ACC teams. And then when we go against Duke the second time or UVA the second time, hopefully he can play 10, 12 minutes of effective basketball. But that's my concern, really, is the backcourt rotation. It's it, Padula... His legs are going to get very heavy towards the end of the year if he has to keep playing this many minutes and and playing with this much responsibility. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I think if the team can continue to play this way, that we should have some games where we have some comfort in getting him in there and don't have mm-hmm. to worry about um, about you know letting the team get back into it or anything like that. Not that we're necessarily going to blow anybody or everybody out of the water, but I feel like there's some given half the conference kind of sucks this year, honestly, yeah. then it, it should give us some flexibility in, in giving him some minutes. Is, um, hope, um, at least I'm hoping so. Next up, we've got Grambling State on the 17th, and then we start the rest of ACC play. We go to yeah. BC on 12-21 before Christmas, and then we go to Wake 
noon on New Year's Eve. So before you watch the college football playoff, you can watch us take on Wake. And that Wake game is actually, it's hard to say right now. I'm counting them up like we have five to six opportunities for Q1 wins throughout the rest of the year. And one of those, like that that five slash six is this Wake game because it's on the road. And so the team can be ranked a little lower and you still get, Mm-hmm. you know, a Q1 win, but they need to be top 75 and wake is, you know, just under a hundred. I think they're like 98th. Right. So if they continue to play well and we beat them at wake, like there's a lot of ifs, but mm-hmm. you know, you're trying to eye up how yeah. you can fill out your resume. Yep. And we get Duke twice. We get UVA twice. We get Miami twice. And so those are all going to be solid opportunities to get good wins. But outside of that, it's, it's not much. There, right. <laughs> there's not a whole lot out there. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, you hope things break our way. Um, and you know, maybe some of those other teams string, string some stuff together and, uh, help us on our, our win board in in terms of filling that out. But you got to play the schedule that you're given. You got to play the teams Mm -hmm. that are in the conference and, you know, you can, you can very much still put yourself in a good seating in the tournament without necessarily crushing it on the Q1 wins. It's just, it's more of a, it's a tougher, it's a tougher road to slide. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, and the, the thing is, man, like if you're gonna have a weak schedule, go ten and one. Yes, <laughs> you know, like right. win win games. If you keep winning games, like it, it'll take care of itself. That's so, right. um, you don't need as many Q one wins if you're, you know, twenty and three at some point. <laughs> you know, so right. we'll just have to wait and see how the ACC play goes, but. That's going to do it for the podcast. I don't have any more. Do you have any more commentary on football or recruiting? I know signing day's next week, so uh, we may be recording a little something, uh, but we'll we'll let you know about that. But I think I'm all squared away here, man. No, I do think that uh, it's only appropriate, just given that you you love them and I love them, that we um, give a quick shout out to um, and to or love to. Mike Leach's family and friends uh, yes. and coaches and everybody else. Um, dude was an absolute legend in so many different uh, regards, what he did on the field and then off the field, obviously. I don't like to call it his antics because it makes it sound like very kind of hokey, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's just like being one of the most entertaining, just kind of down-to-earth cool dudes uh, and – so many college football coaches now suck. Like they're just right. they're just like boring, not fun to like never to say watch. Anything. Yeah, they don't. I mean, jeez. I mean, to talk about the six years under Fuente, then like what would it be? You know, and to have somebody like that and that kind of personality and have them go at you know at sixty one um, sucks. Yeah, yeah, I lost yeah, my sucks. dad at sixty one. You lost your you know your dad. It's just um, it's a it's a tough thing to happen happen so I, you know i'm pulling for all of them hope they hope they're doing all right yeah my dad was 61 too that is weird there you go um but yeah mike leach was awesome man and i was after the news broke i just went on youtube and watched you know 20 straight minutes of mike leach interviews and was cracking up and he really was one of the best personalities in college football of all time yes. and if you listen to the cover three this week they went into detail about you know his effect on the game and how much his air raid and and passing concepts changed college football to what we see now. And it's so true. And you look at how many head coaches and assistant coaches and NFL coaches have all basically 
been part of his coaching tree yeah. and it's it's pretty astounding absolutely and i i didn't even appreciate how how broad it was until i listened to that episode of the cover three it's pretty astounding yeah anyway well that was that's a good way to, to end it man um rest in peace to mike leach and you can hit us on twitter if you have anything you want to send us or tweet at us it's at 2dvt 2dvt.com is the website stream all of our podcasts check out all the beers we've had and then Make sure to subscribe on Spotify. Uh, I think that's kind of the way this is going. And make sure that you subscribe to the Sons of Saturday, to the Locks of Saturday. In fact, Locks of Saturday is doing a bowl pick'em. If anyone out there wants to join the bowl pick'em, just go to to Sam's uh, Twitter page, Sam Jesse on Twitter. He's one of the members of Sons of Saturday. He's running that. You just you know do an ESPN login, real easy. I'm in it. Uh, there's tons of people in it already. I'm sure more people will join. And, uh, yeah, we'll be kind of transitioning over to, to the sun's umbrella. As we told you before going into this next new year, having some of those guys on the pod, maybe transitioning this pod. So stay tuned and make sure to stay subscribed to all of their stuff as well as ours. And until next time when, you know, we're hoping, hopefully celebrating a good signing day or a couple of ACC victories in basketball, go Hokies. Hokies.